0: This is this morning, uh, but they're sweet ones. First Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. I miss you guys. <laughs> um, just even getting to see some of you on Thursday, on our Thursday night worship Zoom call, which was so incredibly sweet. Um, I teared up through a lot of it, <laughs> just getting to see you and corporately sing together with you. So, if you didn't come on Thursday, if you were busy, please, please do make a point to join us this week on Thursday night. Um, that link will be sent as well uh, if, you, if you ask for it below, and it was in the email. Um, and please also make a point to come especially if you have kids. This is a time of worship for all, but it is geared especially to be a time of sweet worship for the whole family together. Now, speaking of kids, here are four words that kids never like to hear. Back in my day. No kid likes to hear the words back in my day because they know that nearly all the time the words back in my day are going to be followed by something a little bit patronizing or condescending, right? About how harder things used to be and how kids these days are weak or, or privileged. And how kids these days might need to toughen up a little bit. And the thing is, even if it's true, what the parent or, or grandparent saying, even if it's true, the words that follow the words back in my day are never encouraging. Today in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, Peter is saying something similar to back in my day. Because Peter is looking back to the past, to the olden days, the days before Jesus came. And he's looking back and he's seeing that Christians today have privilege. Christians today are in a privileged position. They have a privileged perspective because they live on this side of Jesus' sojourn on earth. But the difference, B3, is that when Peter says this, he's not being patronizing. He's not being condescending. Rather, when Peter says these words to these first Christians, it would have been radically, radically encouraging. Because what Peter's doing here is he is reminding the Christians of the amazing privilege and blessing that they have for knowing the full story of Jesus Christ. For knowing the grace that they can find in the life and death of Jesus Christ. So in the book of Peter first, or so far, the first five verses were focused on the future, right? The future hope that we find through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was two weeks ago. Then last week, we looked at verses 6 through 9, and that was focusing on our present sufferings and the fact that we have hope in the knowledge that there might just be a purpose in our present sufferings. Future, present, this week, Peter's looking to the past. Verses 10 through 12. So let me read verse 10 through 12 for you. Then I'm going to pray very briefly again, and then we'll dive in, all right? Let me read this for you. First Peter chapter 1. Verses 10 through 12. (sighs) Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Be free, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, these words are your words. You gave them to us. You inspired us. Peter, to write these words, and because we know that they're from you, we believe that they are true. Because we believe they came from you, the good God, we know that they are good. The message that they communicate are good. Father, because we put our hope in you, allow these words to give hope to us. Father, because we believe these words are without error, I pray that we would be able to receive them like that. Perfect, without error, able to change the way we think, change what we believe, and even change the way that we respond in the face of a crisis. Lord, these words were written to hurting and persecuted Christians. And Father, we are Christians today who are hurting and suffering in a very different way, but hurting and suffering all the same. So, Lord, give hope to us who are your people. And I pray, Lord, that anyone here this morning who does not know you, does not follow you, um, that this would be a time for them to meet you fresh. That they would come to know you this morning and believe in you as you are. The God of the universe who sent his son because of your radical love for us. So, Father, use this time, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read again the first two verses here, verses 10 through 11, so follow along with me if you have your Bibles open. Verse 10 and 11. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the subsequent the sufferings of, of Christ Sorry, and the subsequent glories. So Peter here, he's starting by talking about the Old Testament prophets. And Peter actually talks about the Old Testament prophets in his other letter, 2 Peter, explaining that what they did was they spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So in other words, prophets were God's messengers. They came to deliver God's messages. And really, if we're going to take all of the prophets' messages in the Bible and boil them down, I think we could really group them into two main kinds of messages. Either they were calling God's people to be faithful to God, faithful to the covenant relationship they had with Him, or they were calling God to deliver on the promises that He made to His people. So to put it simply, these prophets were calling God's people to be faithful to God and promising that God was going to be faithful to them. And I'm focusing here on that second category, the promises of God being faithful to His people. Because we see so many promises in the prophets, so many promises about how God would someday in the future be faithful to deliver on all of these promises to his people in Israel. So for instance, in the book of Isaiah chapter 9, we read about a child who would someday be born, who would establish his rule over an eternal kingdom here on earth that was full of peace and of justice and of righteousness. So the people of Israel waited for this child, but they didn't know exactly who he was. They didn't know his name. A little bit later in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, Isaiah tells of a righteous servant who had come from God. He would come to make us righteous by bearing our sins. But again, same thing, we don't know his name. Isaiah never tells us exactly who this righteous servant is going to be. And then to take the question a little bit further, when would this happen? When would this king and when would this servant come? When would God's promises be fulfilled? Well, in the book of Daniel, chapter 9, uh, Daniel tells about 70 weeks, which are symbolically meant to give us some kind of time frame of when all this would happen. But are you starting to see a pattern here? (laughs) We're not given names and dates. These prophets and all the other prophets, rather than giving names and dates over and over and over again, rather what they do is they give us hints of hope. Hints of hope of what God would do, but it's never super clear exactly what that's going to be. They gave hints of a man who would come to bring restoration and blessings. Hints of when all that might just happen, but they are never given a name or a date. And So this is what Peter's referring to here. Here, Peter is talking about these Old Testament prophets, explaining that they gave hints of the grace that was to be yours. In other words, they gave hints of the coming salvation that would come through, as he says here, the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. What these prophets did was they gave hints of the salvation that would come through the death and resurrection Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. They gave hints of the salvation that would come through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But even the prophets didn't know who he was at that point. Even the prophets who were prophesying these things, carrying on these messages from God, even they didn't know the name of the one who was going to do this. Even they didn't know exactly the time of when all this would happen. It was a mystery to them. And so because of that, as Peter says here, they searched and they inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating. They searched, prayed, looked, sought the answer to who and when. Let's look on into verse 12. This is what Peter continues to say. He tells us that as they looked, verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So they weren't given names and dates. The prophets weren't. But rather they were given hints of hope, hints about who this person would be and hints of when the time would be that he would come and do all that he promised he would do. But what they did know was that he was going to come later. (laughs) What was revealed to them was that this Savior, this, this baby, this king, this servant, was going to come after their time. After all, that's what Peter says right here, that it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. Not them back in their day, but you, referring to the Christians in the first century suffering for being followers of Jesus Christ. Now, I've always, my entire life, wanted to visit the town of Cape Town, South Africa. It's a beautiful city nestled at the bottom of a canyon, surrounded by mountains right on the ocean. I've always wanted to see it and just experience the beauty of that town. So let's say right now I hop in my car, I drive down to Boston, hop on a plane, get my $8 ticket, and fly through the night, take a red eye to Cape Town, South Africa. And let's say I get there at 4 o'clock in the morning, and I am exhausted, because it's been a red eye, fly it, uh, but I'm also excited. And so rather than doing the prudent thing and going straight to my hotel room and getting some rest and and enjoying the next day, rather would I decide to do is go to the gondola station and take a gondola from Cape Town all the way up to the very top of Tabletop Mountain in South Africa. Now Tabletop Mountain overlooks the city of Cape Town. And so let's say I take that gondola at four o'clock in the morning all the way up to the top of Tabletop Mountain. It's still dark and I look down at Cape Town. What would I see? What would I see at 4 o'clock in the morning from the top of that mountain overlooking Cape Town? Well, from 3,500 feet in the air, I would see a dark town. But I would be able to see the general shape of the town, right? I would be able to see the streets lined with with lampposts. I would be able to see uh, windows uh, flickering on in the morning as people woke up. I would be able to see headlights of cars going down the road. So I'd be able to get the general shape of the town because all these little lights would give me hints of what the city looked like, hints of the general shape of the town. But now imagine the sun comes up. And as the sun comes up, it fills in what was hiding between those little pinpricks of light. That all of a sudden the black between those pinpricks of of light is wiped away to to show me and to reveal to me what the rest of Cape Town looks like. All of a sudden I'm able to see shapes and colors of the buildings. All of a sudden I'm able to see the mountains surrounding the city. Parks with trees in them, boats in the bay, the ocean beyond. In the dark I would have only had hints of what Cape Town looked like, but when the sun came up, I'd be able to see Cape Town as it really was, with all of its colors and its shapes and its beauty. You see, these Old Testament prophets, they gave God's people hints of hope. Hints of what would come in the future. They told of a child who would come to establish and rule over an eternal kingdom of peace and justice and righteousness. A righteous servant of God who would come to make us righteous by bearing our sins. But these are just hints of hope. Because they didn't know his name. They didn't know when he would come. But when Jesus came, it was like the sun came up. Because all of a sudden, all the blackness was wiped away. All of a sudden, the mystery concealing all the details of God's plan was was gone. All of a sudden, they were able to see the rest of the picture. And the questions of who this son would be, when he would come, what he would do, and how he would do it were all answered. Peter is telling these believers that all these things that once were a mystery, verse 12 says, have now been announced to you. Have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Do you see what a privilege that is? What a privilege it is to live on this side of the cross. Those first century Christians, and us as well, we have been told in full what the prophets only knew in part. That this coming king and this servant were one and the same. His name was Jesus Christ. We can see clearly what the prophets only had hints of. The good news, the gospel has been preached and proclaimed clearly to them and to us. They didn't have a name and a date, but we have a name, and his name is Jesus. They didn't have a date, but we have a date. He came in the year zero, give or take a couple years. He was a man, fully man, and also fully God. He came to earth and he lived a perfect, sinless life. But because of his radical love, for us, he took our sins from us and willingly died on the cross in the place of us, paying the penalty that we all deserve to pay for the sin that was literally and eternally killing us. And he rose again to eternal, victorious life so that whoever believes in him can live with him forever. Forever. And Jesus Christ, this man who is our Savior, will one day come again. (laughs) And he will come again to bring his eternal kingdom of peace and of justice and of righteousness in its fullness. And on that day, he will fix all that is broken, he will heal all that is ailing, he will unite all that is divided. And he will drive out our fears as he wipes away our tears. Be free. This is the good news that was announced to the suffering Christians receiving Peter's letter. And this is the good news that they were so privileged to know. And that now we are so privileged to know. Because even if today is the first time you've ever heard this message, now you've heard it. Now the privilege that they've been given has been given to you. Now we are privileged. Now we have been told in full what the prophets only knew in part. Now we know the full story. Now we know the good news that's called the gospel that has been preached to us. What a privilege. But information is just information. So you've been given this privilege of knowing the full story. But the question now is this. How will you use your privilege? (laughs) You have been privileged to know what has been promised for ages and generations. Now you know it. Will you receive it? Or will you squander it? Because really that question is up to us. Because we can all think of of stories of people who squandered their privilege, right? I think in the Bible, Luke chapter 15 tells a story about a son that we call the prodigal son. This son of privilege who was given his inheritance early in life but then ran off and squandered it all uh, in wild living. Or maybe you can think about a hypothetical story of somebody today, maybe a young girl whose parents sent her to the finest private schools only for her to cut class. <laughs> and not finish her assignments. These are examples of privilege squandered. And the foolishness of it is so apparent right on the surface. But today, be free, we are hearing the good news, the gospel. It is being preached to you. What will you do with it? Will you squander it? Or will you believe it? Be free, I want to beg you to believe And to receive the eternal life that Jesus has earned by his death on the cross for you. To receive the forgiveness that comes by faith. To humble yourself, to confess and to repent, turn from your sins, to believe in Jesus Christ. Do not squander the privilege of knowing this message that even angels long to know. be free, I'm telling you all of this, not because I'm a pastor and it's my job. I'm telling you all of this because it's absolutely true. I'm telling you this because I personally, I've had the privilege of hearing this message. And I've experienced firsthand the love, the joy, the peace, and the hope that is found in this good news. And I'm just desperate for you to know it too. I'm desperate for you to know the joy that I have known, to know the hope that I have known, to know the love of Jesus Christ that I have known. I am desperate for you to experience the delight of new life in the gospel. Will you receive it? Will you believe? And then once you have, my question for you is, will you keep it to yourself? (laughs) Will you keep what you have been given to yourself? Or will you share your privilege with others? If you have been given this privilege, and now you have, and you've believed it, preach it. Proclaim it. Share it. Do not keep it to yourself. Tell other people about the God who loved them. The God who loves them enough to send his son to die for them. Tell them about the king who died for them on the cross and rose again. Tell them about the one who is holding out to them the offer of eternal life. And then, out of love for them and their good, beg them for their sake to believe it. Jesus Christ died on a cross so that we might have life in him. This is the good news of the gospel, and we are so privileged to know it. So be free, will you pray with me? Hmm. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gospel. We, we talk about this so much um, in our church, because it's something that just is impressed upon me so constantly. That we share this message all the time because, after all, it is the one unifying truth that binds all of us together as your people. But because we focus on it so much, we can become jaded to it. How could we become jaded to the truth that has transformed our lives? How could we, Lord, become jaded to the truth that has given us hope and eternal life? How can we, Lord, become jaded to the fact that the king who is over this world is good, is in control, and is handling all the details of this fallen, broken world? Father, how could we become jaded to the hope and the life and the joy and the peace that can be found in you and your gospel? Don't let us become jaded to the privilege that we have. Father, I just pray today that as we... Think about these things as we meditate upon the gospel, as we prepare ourselves for Holy Week ahead. That the glory of you and your work on the cross would be impressed upon us afresh. Let us not get used to this. Let it not grow old and stale to us. Keep it fresh. And I pray that it would lead us to worship every single day that it would shape the way we live, that it would shape the way we treat other people, and that it would zealously drive us to proclaim this good news to other people who do not have the privilege of, of having heard the message of your son. Father, may the result of this season of coronavirus be new life through your mobilized church. May the gospel go forth and change people from the inside out. We love you, God. We praise you. We come and bring all of this before you now in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, today is the first Sunday of the month and what we're doing today is what we do on the first Sunday of every month. Um, We're doing communion. And now I want to say really clearly right here, communion is meant to be done together. But we can't do it together, right? Our circumstances right now prevent us from doing it in person. And so because of that, we're going to do the next best thing. We're going to do communion together on our Zoom call. And that's why it's extra important right now that if you don't have the link to the Zoom call, that you comment right here below, send me the link. Because I want to invite you to join us on this Zoom call for a time of communion. Uh, specifically because there we'll be able to at least see one another. And I'll lead you through uh, the communion liturgy together uh, once, we, once we hop over there. So even right now, I want to invite you, please begin getting ready for communion. Get your hearts ready for communion. Uh, confessing sin and thanking the Lord for for the gospel, uh, for the good news, the gift of eternal life, that he has won on the cross and by rising again from the the grave. But then also get your bread and and juice together. And I want to remind you, the bread and the juice, they're just symbols of the body and, and the blood of Jesus Christ. So if you don't have grape juice, it's okay. Use water. Remember, it's just a substitute. It's just a symbol. Get your elements together. Get your family together. Um, and then hop over to the Zoom call. We'll give you some time to get there. And when you do, I'll lead us through the communion liturgy all together. So thank you guys so much for joining us this morning for worship. I love you so much. Um, it's, it's, I wanna, it's killing me not to see you. Um, and we'll see you uh, uh, Good Friday, I suppose, uh, for our Good Friday service. I love you guys. Go in peace.